Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Well, welcome everybody to the Must Read Alaska show. I'm your host, John Quick, and we are coming to you live two times today. It's very exciting. This morning we had on the CEO of Extra Tough, and we're doing a giveaway there. So folks that are interested, go to the very top of the Must Read Alaska page and check out, check out the pinned post. If you like, comment, or share that post, the CEO of Extra Tough is literally going to send you a pair of boots, a sweatshirt, and some koozies. So um, we're going to pick a winner. All you have to do is like, comment, and share that post and you can be entered to win. So far, we've had about 1,500 people enter into that competition, which is very exciting. So it's gonna keep going for the next, I would say 12 hours or so, maybe 15 hours or so. So there's still time to win, but we are, I'm excited today. I have Kelly Chewbacca here, who is running for US Senate against the incumbent Lisa Murkowski. She's been on the show a couple of times. She has just uh, finished a whirlwind event and we are very fortunate to have her. She is a welcome, guests and our folks that must read alaska our uh, folks that listen, watch and follow must read alaska really love kelly so kelly welcome to the must read alaska show thanks for having me and it's always great to be with you well for folks that have maybe been living under a rock um and you know maybe some folks are watching and listening to you for the first time you never know right so can you tell us a little bit about maybe uh, where you grew up and kind of how you first got involved in politics in the first place? Oh, sure. So my parents moved to Alaska with a big dream in their heart, but life didn't go the way they planned. They ended up being homeless on the east side of Anchorage. But my mom was able to get a job up at Prudhoe Bay, and it was with that oil industry job that they were proud to fight their way into the working class. They got into a starter home out in Wasilla and gave birth to me. I was raised in Wasilla in Anchorage, fishing and playing ice hockey. And I graduated from Stellar in Anchorage. And it was at Stellar that my history teacher actually gave us an assignment to volunteer on a campaign. And I chose to volunteer on Don Young's campaign in 1994. So dating myself a bit, but I loved doing that and had a lot of really great experiences, a little bit probably beyond my age range, but it threw me right into the center of politics. Going into that campaign, I probably had a lot of influence from my peers at a very liberal school at Stellar, but coming out of that campaign experience, having to explain to many constituents what Don Young's position was on various policy issues, I was definitely trained to be a conservative. And so I think that's where I got my beginning in politics, but also developed a conservative principle base. After that, I, uh, I ended up working for Senator Ted Stevens on the Appropriations Committee, and I started taking classes at UAA. I graduated from Texas A&M, and I went to law school. And after law school, I started a career in making government work for the people. So being like an internal watchdog, uh, exposing waste and abuse and returning billions of dollars to taxpayers and holding insiders accountable, that was largely an apolitical career, so it didn't really have much to do with politics, but I learned how the system works and how to really protect our constitutional rights, our civil liberties, 
and again, making government work of the people, by the people, for the people. So that's what I've been doing the last couple decades. And it's a real passion of mine and what I've uh, dedicated my my adult service to, if you will. That's awesome. Um, before I go into my next question, I totally spaced. We do have a no, new show sponsor. So uh, we want to thank our show sponsor, Gungerstein, for uh, Senate for sponsoring the show because of her sponsorship. Uh, we are able to get the conservative news for the next crannies of Alaska. So, um, so what, uh, Kelly, what do you think sets you apart from, from uh, Senator Lisa Murkowski? She's been there, in there for, I believe, 20, 21 years. Her father was in there for 20, 21 years before her. Um, as you go all over Alaska, literally, I've, you know, I've heard that you've literally gone from the northernmost point to the southernmost point. What are you hearing from folks and how are you describing what sets you apart from Lisa Murkowski? So I've spent the last couple decades holding government accountable. And I think that it's really important to know in the Senate how the system works, because up here in Alaska, we are being overrun by the federal government and knowing how the system works, how to get government to work for us instead of against us is going to be really key to being effective. That is, after all, the position description of the Senate in the Constitution. And you, getting somebody in there who doesn't really know what's going on or how the DC system works would not help us that much. But I've always known how the system works, but I've never been the DC insider, if you will. Making the system work for us, being the person who holds them accountable, being the watchdog is really critical but not being the DC insider. And so you've already alluded to it, John, the difference between me and Senator Murkowski is she's become the DC insiders. She's a 24 year career politician. She's lived on Capitol Hill for a couple decades. She's been in the US Senate 21 years. She was appointed to the Senate seat by her father who held the position before her. Before that, she was in Juneau for several years. And so we have someone who, didn't have to fight for it, didn't have that story that I have of having to depend on other Alaskans knowing what her votes personally cost us Alaskans because she's never had to depend on us Alaskans and have that story of that grit and perseverance then that interdependency that all of us Alaskans have because she's just lived the political career story that so many DC insiders have. And she doesn't actually know how the executive branch works. I don't actually think any of the other 100 senators have the story that I have of being on the outside, holding them accountable, but having worked up from the bottom to senior executive management, knowing the system in and out, all of the rules, all of the code of federal regulations, the personnel rules, the budget rules, et cetera, because government is supposed to be like two refs on a hockey rink, just regulate the play and call the fouls. If you don't have refs, the game gets bloody and that's not okay. But right now in Alaska, it's like we have 200 refs on our rink and we just wanna play the game. And who's gonna get all these refs off the rink? And that's my specialty, getting refs off the rink. And that's what we gotta do is get back to playing the game. That's awesome. So you were just at the um, Donald Trump event this last weekend, I was there as well. It was the just an enormous event. I think there was five to six thousand people inside, and I heard, although I didn't go out there and confirm, there was just about that many outside. How was this event for you? And, and do you have any big takeaways from it? You had a, you know, you were on the main stage for folks that weren't there or didn't know. Um, um, Kelly was on the main stage, gave a speech, very well received. So how was that for you? 
Yeah, it gave us huge momentum. So we had, you know, five to 6,000 people in the stadium. And then I spoke to someone in Fairbanks yesterday who said she took a camera and walked the length of the line outside the stadium and it went on for four miles, which corroborates what the Trump team was telling him right before he came on stage that there were about 22,000 people total in attendance. They had major jumbotrons outside for people to watch the events inside. What that tells us is that President Trump is just as popular as he ever was in Alaska, if not more so, because his policies are the greatest that any president has ever had in Alaska. Remember, he opened up Anwar for us, pushing back decades of regulations. He gave us a record number, hundreds of judges that are now protecting our rights. He rebuilt the military after Obama and Biden completely decimated it. He gave us King Cove Road. He was giving us back 27 million acres of land. There were so many things that he did for us. The road to Ambler Mine, the A2A Railroad, these were all projects that he greenlit for us, really giving us a booming economy, looking out for our workers, looking out for our resource industries. And that's in stark contrast to what we have under Joe Biden with record inflation and our taxes going up and every family just feeling the pinch in our pockets as we try to decide, are we going to fill up our gas tanks or feed our children? Those are the conversations I'm having with Alaskans. And the real issue with this is it comes down to our senior Senator Lisa Murkowski enabling the Biden administration. She's voted to confirm nearly all of his radical nominees, the people who are executing this energy annihilating agenda. She wrote the legislation that is now causing directly causing our record inflation. We're now over 9% across the United States of America. And she's the person who's funding her campaign with dark money from the lower 48, over 85% of it coming from big tech, radical environmentalists and DC insiders who are trying to buy our Alaska Senate seat instead of having our Senate seat funded by Alaskans and people who think like us. And that is what we saw vocal expression for. Those points in particular got extreme reaction from the audience because those are just things against our Alaska values. And so what I think we're gonna see is a strong response from voters in November. People talk about a red wave, but John, I'm not sure that it's red. I think it's just common sense. People just want common sense policies. Just we want nominees that are gonna respect the interests of Alaska. We should just have a Senator who opposes nominees that are gonna harm Alaska. We just think inflation shouldn't be off the charts and that our dollar should be worth something. We wanna be able to both feed our kids and fill up the gas tank. These are just normal common sense things. And that's what I think Alaska was, was shouting, screaming and stomping their feet for at the rally on Saturday. And it was really epic. Well, people were very excited to hear from you. Um, I think, uh, when I was on the, the press uh, stage there in the back, the, the um, overwhelming agreement was that you got a louder applause uh, than uh, former Governor Sarah Palin. Not that there was a competition, but for what it's worth, uh, people roared for you uh, in a way that I don't think I've ever seen before, which I think was uh, contagious to folks that, um, you know, maybe were there hearing you for the first time. I think you were able to excite you know, 6,000 people. And that's probably something that you'll probably never forget. So um, lots of people love President Donald Trump. Few people get to actually get to know him. You've been fortunate enough to be able to do that. Can you tell us a little bit about um, President Trump? Why does he have a, uh, seems like a love for Alaska? Do you have any fun stories you can share that kind of give us an inside peek at uh, the person of who Donald Trump really is? 
Yeah, I, you know, I think his affinity for Alaska actually goes back uh, to his family ties. I think it's his grandfather. His, their family fortune actually started in Alaska. It's a little piece of trivia. Uh, he came up here and started some hotels, and that's where their family fortune actually started was with that investment. But I also think that President Trump is wise enough to know what we actually know. Alaska is the foundation for the United States of America. And if you're going to be America first, then you really need to be Alaska first, because we know that we feed the United States of America. We power the United States of America. We are the first line of defense for national security for the United States of America. If you're thinking America first, then you're thinking about oil and gas and minerals and timber. We literally build the homes across the United States of America. You're thinking about the fish up here. You're thinking about our national security and our military bases. We are the foundation for the country. And I think similarly, President Biden knows that too, which is why he has launched more than 24 direct executive actions at our state alone since he has taken office. If you're going to level the United States to its knees, you're gonna start with Alaska. And so I think President Trump is America first. He really is in his heart. And that's why he cares so much about Alaska. But one of the things that surprised me, just a little inside story, I went to meet him for the first time. I've met him many times now and talked with him. But for the first time, when I went to get my endorsement at the top of Trump Tower last summer, and I've been in a lot of executive rooms and a lot of times I'm the only woman in the room, right? And those conversations go lots of different ways. I've had it all. I've been completely condescended to. I've been only looked at as a female because of my looks, the whole nine yards. Which President Trump are we going to get? Is it going to be the apprentice President Trump? Is it going to be rally President Trump? I don't know. So I round the corner and I'm sitting in his office and he was paternal and he was kind and he was so stinking intelligent. It was like what they train you for when you do the Supreme Court arguments in law school. But what really struck me is I have never been treated with more respect than the hour that I was with President Trump. He treated me like I'm his equal and I am not his equal. <laughs> I am not the president of the United States. I am not so stinking billionaire rich. I am none of those things. And yet you never would have known it in that in that room. He treated me as his intellectual equal, as his power equal, as his financial equal, all of it. And I've never been treated like that in any executive boardroom I've ever been in, in any of my jobs prior to this as a complete equal to the head of the room. And I thought that that was really fascinating. And of course, contrary to anything you hear in mainstream media about his character, but that was my experience with him. And the first question he asked me of the maybe 100 questions he asked that day was about specific Alaska projects by name. He asked about seven or eight of them, and he did not have a note card or a cheat sheet. He asked how they were doing and if they were still up and running. And of course, they're all dead. And then he said, we've got to block Joe Biden. Your workers must really be hurting. So he cares about us. He cares about our workers and he cares about our projects. I think that's cool. I, I think, folks, if you're listening, um, we have Kelly Chewbacca here who's running for U.S. Senate. And she just shared with us of her story of when she first met Donald Trump for the endorsement. And the first question President Trump asked was a question that related to how much he cared about Alaska. And I think that speaks volume to who he is as a person and, and really uh, his stance on Alaska, which is Alaska first. So um, Kelly, you've had a pretty successful career. Uh, um, you know, you're, you're kind of just getting started still. I, I've hoped that you still have many, many more successful decades left in you, but do you have one accomplishment that you're just kind of extremely proud of over the last, you know, several years that you always look at as, man, I can't believe I was able to accomplish that. 
Um, John, thanks for admiring my career. But if I have to look at everything, the thing I'm most proud of is my family. I've been married for 21, almost 22 years. Yes, we got married very young <laughs> and, uh, and happily. So our marriage is going great and I'm really proud of that. And then we have five kids and that was not the plan when we originally got married. So for all of you who are like, wow, five, um, sometimes life happens. And I'm really, really happy with how all of our kids are turning out. I had a, an idea when, when number one came and I was in the hospital, um, and I tend to lead all of my organizations with strategic plans. And so I thought, what's my goal with this child? And I thought, you know, when she grows up, I want to not just love her, but like her. <laughs> and I can, I can say now that she's heading off to college, I think she's the best human in the world. I just, I love her so much. She, I enjoy her. And I can say that about my next one, who's 15 and just a great teenager. I love being a mom to teenagers. I don't, I don't know what everybody talks about, about how having teenagers is so rough. I think teenagers are the greatest. I have so much fun with my teenagers and my three, my three younger kids who we've been homeschooling since COVID started. Um, I just think they're, they're just a jar of pickles. I just love them so much. They're so much fun. And we just have such a great time as a family. So if I have to say, man, there's one thing that I don't know if proud is the right word, but I, when I look back and go, I am so glad that some, we did something right and we did it as a team and that's our family for sure. I think another thing that comes around as I'm talking is I'm just really glad that we invested so much time as a family in uh, I think we call them social justice projects that we care about. We've really worked a lot taking care of um, victims of human trafficking, uh, street orphans in Haiti and the eastern part of Congo. My husband's family is from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And his dad actually grew up in a mud hut in the rainforest of Congo, the youngest of five kids of a single mom. And so taking care of relief efforts in Congo has been a big passion of ours. And then taking care of the homeless has been a big passion of ours because of how my family started out. And we've we've done a lot and made some significant contributions in those areas in the, in the last you know 15 to 18 years, something like that. And those those things are really big on our heart and make a big a big difference. Taking care of the orphans and taking care of another place that's been important for us is taking care of the poor in Ethiopia. Um, so those those efforts have been uh, significant for us as a family, and we really care about that. Um, those are things I think I'm most proud of. But I could talk about my career a lot. Um, those just are you know those are career things, and making government work is important to me. But when I'm laying on my deathbed, I'm not going to think man, I should have put another day in at the government desk. <laughs> I'm going to think about these things I just told you. That's awesome. So uh, there's a poll that just came out, um, you know, uh, I don't know, it was a couple of days ago, and it showed you um, uh, getting the most amount of first place votes in the first ranked choice voting scenario. And then uh, slowly as the ranked choice voting went to the second and third round, you decreased in your votes. Now, who's to say this is true, but it does say that it's very confusing. I think a lot of talk in the last six months, even with folks that are kind of politically astute, is this ranked choice voting thing is just can lend itself to be a bit of a mess. And so what are your thoughts on ranked choice voting and how would you uh, potentially simplify that, you know, understanding or describing it to folks for pe people that are listening today, if they're like, I don't even know how what ranked choice voting is. I don't know how it works. What what's your reaction as you're 
uh, going around Alaska talking to people? What do you what do you describe to them as you talk about ranked choice voting? I'm going to try and simplify this. I don't normally use my hands in a Zoom video, but I'm going to try and simplify it to make it easy. Um, when we go into the final election in November, there's going to be four. And all polls will show that I come out at the top closest to 50. Now, remember, I'm not running against my opponents. I'm running against the number 50. Mm -hmm. And let's assume I don't cross 50 on round one. Number four will drop off. We all understand that number four's votes get reallocated to one, two, and three for second, third, and fourth place. The part that people don't talk about is about half or maybe more, that poll you're talking about says 70% of the people who vote for this person are not going to vote for anybody else. So they actually drop out of the voter pool. When they do, our voter pool shrinks and the total number of votes we have shrinks, which means our overall percentage of total votes, even if I got no number two, three or four votes goes up. My total percentage of the voter share goes up because the total number of votes went down. So if there were a thousand votes before, now I needed 500 votes. Now there's only 800 votes. How many votes do I need? 400, I may have already had 400 votes. And so because of vote shrinkage, the total population shrunk. My percentage went up even if I got no extra votes. Do you understand? Yep. And that's how we end up winning. And so because of that, what you'll hear is some contestants are even saying for the Senate race, don't rank anyone else. For me in particular, you don't need to rank anyone else. You can vote Kelly because I'll be at the top of the ballot and leave everything blank. Your vote's never going to drop off because I'm never going to be number two, three or four. So for, if you're a Kelly supporter, please be a Kelly supporter, vote Kelly, rank one, and then move on and go over to Nick Begich and Sarah Palin's race. You need to rank both of those. You need to rank both of those because both, both of them are going to split the 54% that are conservatives. And if one of them drops off, we need to have everybody fill the other bucket so that the Democrat doesn't win from vote shrinkage. Does that make sense? It does. And, uh, uh, as you're talking to folks on the campaign trail, are they, do you even, are you running into folks that don't have even never even heard of ranked choice voting before, or have most people kind of, as it set into their brain, like, okay, this is the ranked choice voting year. Yeah. So most people have heard of ranked choice, but the biggest risk that we run is I've heard of it. I don't like it. I don't trust it. So I'm opting out. Please do not be one of those people. This is not so much different than regular voting. The biggest risk we have is if you opt out, we lose. And so go in and go in. You can even just go in and say, I'm going to just treat this like normal voting and I'm just going to pick my one candidate. That's better than not voting. But the best rule of thumb is to quote rank red is how the Republican Party is putting it on my ballot. There's likely not going to be another red person in the top four. If there is rank red. But the same thing with the congressional and with the governor race, just only color in number one and number two for your red contendants, your red candidates. Um, don't go ahead and rank everybody. You don't need to because we benefit from vote shrinkage. You want the ceiling to come down so that your candidate who's ahead gets to 50 sooner. And 500, if you will, on 1,000 is harder to hit than 400 on 800. And so you want them to get to the 50% line sooner. Don't rank everybody. There's no reason to give extra support to somebody who you don't actually support. Just rank red. Do not sit the election out. We need voter turnout. Voter turnout, and I get asked this because I did that audit on the division of elections in 2019. 
And there's a lot of concern about election integrity. Just about every flaw in any election system can be overrun with voter turnout. Where's your proof in that, Kelly? Okay, will we have a Republican in Virginia for the first time in over a decade? And New Jersey ousted its Democrat Senate leader with a trucker who spent about $125 in donuts. <laughs> and Minneapolis voted to fund its police and so did Seattle in 2021. And this is with the same election systems that they used in 2020 because of voter turnout. And so voter turnout can overrun any kind of glitch in a system if you have large voter turnout. And all of those areas I just talked about voted for Joe Biden by double digits in 2020, says their election results. And so voter turnout can actually turn things around, but lack of voter turnout also has consequences. So don't be those people who say, I don't trust the system, so therefore I'm going to opt out because then you're going to get the results that you fear. So how does somebody get in touch with your campaign? Where's your website? Are you on Facebook? Any other last thoughts before we uh, sign off here? We are on all social media platforms. I would love to have you like and follow and repost. We need your help with that. It starts a grassroots movement. You can find us on Kelly for Alaska on social media platforms. The website is kelly4ak.com. Please jump online, please support us. I need grassroots funding to power the campaign. On our website also, you can find where our physical office locations are. We have them on the peninsula. We have them in Anchorage. We have them in Fairbanks. We're gonna be opening one up in the Matsu Valley. So our office locations are there. You can also see where you can mail in a check, kelly4ak.com. Same thing with our email address and phone number, kelly4ak.com. So appreciate your support. Thank you, Alaska, and I'll see you again soon. Awesome, well, thank you so much. You've uh been listening to uh, Kelly Chewbacca, who's running for U.S. Senate, and uh, Must Read Alaska is a big fan of what you're doing, and we wish you nothing but success. Uh, and reminder to the folks that uh, if this is our second Must Read Alaska show of the day, if you tuned into the first one, I had the CEO of Extra Tough on, and that, that post is pinned to the top of the Must Read Alaska Facebook page. If you'd like, comment, or share that uh, Facebook pinned post, you could enter to win a chance to win extra tough boots, some koozies, and an extra tough sweatshirt that the CEO is going to send you personally. So uh, that's very exciting. And we want to thank our show sponsor, uh, Gungerstein for Senate, for sponsoring the Must Read Alaska show. It's because of their sponsorship that we're able to uh, spread conservative news through all the nooks and crannies of Alaska. Thank you so much, Kelly, for joining us. You're welcome back anytime. And we wish you nothing but success. Until next time, from somewhere in Alaska, I'm John Quick.